Hello and welcome back to the FAAA podcast. We are coming to you from the the FAAA Congress in Adelaide. And today I am joined by Jason Simons. Welcome. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you for coming along. Now, do you want to give the listeners a quick overview of yourself? Sure. I'm a, a lawyer by trade and I specialise in cyber risk and insurance. I help companies out when they have cyber incidents, uh, also providing advice about how to get ready for a potential incident and also insurance-related issues, litigation, regulatory investigations, all that kind of cyber stuff. So as, as a fellow cyber nerd, I'm fascinated in our conversations all the time and we could probably stop recording after about four hours yes, of this particular conversation. <laughs> uh, today, we did a presentation together uh, in, in the Congress here this morning. We, we uh, were lucky enough to be given an hour of time to, to, um, to talk with people, to hopefully not scare them too much, but um, we a gave little. them a bit of an overview of um, what the process is with regards to post a cyber incident in the business and of course we sort of frame that with a with a conversation out there are many many different areas of cyber security there uh the jigsaw puzzle as we we call it um and today we just sort of focused in on that smaller uh, few of the few of the pieces of the puzzle let's let's kick into that type of conversation because um there there was a lot of it but we sort of broke it up into sort of phases if you like of Understanding and, and and some of the great questions that came back from the conversation. So how do how do you know when you when you've just had a cyber attack? I guess. Yeah, there's probably a couple of main ways internally. So someone sees something suspicious, uh, uh, whether it's your your own IT, whether it's an employee, uh, maybe it's your external IT service provider. They they see some sort of suspicious activity um, involved in the network, or if you might have cyber security that you've purchased that has like. Um, uh, incident sort of um, alerts that go off if if they detect it's uh, something not normal is going on and they bring it to your attention. Or it could even be that somebody just has some information and they've just told you they've got some information <laughs> and you have to try and be- whether, work out whether they do or don't have some information. That's true. Um, the criminals do just directly reach out and say, hi, we've got all this data. Uh, or they might drop a message on a, a ransomware note uh, on literally in someone's email box and um, you go from there. Wow. Okay. Uh, and at that moment, uh, we sort of talked about that first phase of that that moment, which generally is a, a stage of grief and denial. Yeah, I think that's right. I think denial is pretty common because it's that moment where it's like, oh, it's our turn or it's happened to us. And as much as you and I might preach, it's not if but when, uh, it still seems to be a shock to most organizations that it's, it's their turn. Uh, and so you have to be able to, I guess, um, help whoever's found out, whoever the lead is of that organisation. It's like, you know, to not panic, to, to try and keep reasonably calm and that there are people who are experienced in dealing with a lot of these and we can help them through. Yep, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about those people because we're just it's very easy to say people, but there's often a team there is. Of, of specialists in that space that can jump in and play their part. Uh, after the initial stage of disbelief, um, denial, grief, um, the emotional part of that uh we sort of entered to what we call you know stage two or phase two which is really around the first couple of weeks of absolute horrendous pain yes um in that stage i'd like to think that we're now in a place where there is a team of of experts working together across disciplines involving um legal uh it forensics communications both external experts and the internal people dealing with each of those issues we're working together we're having regular teams meetings or even face-to-face 
sort of uh, war room type uh, situations and where we're working through the problem methodically, whether it's a ransomware attack dealing with the criminal group or it might be some sort of large data breach where we have to manage uh, the assessment of that data breach and possibly notification. And at the same time, the team you know, all hands on deck at this point in time for business and, and trying to communicate and talk to and, and especially in, in financial advice firms and, you know, letting their clients know, you know, without saying too much, without saying the wrong thing, this is what we can say, this is what we do know, those sorts of things, but also trying to keep clients, um, you know, informed but also not panicking. Yeah, that's right. So it's that um, that sort of big grey area of how much do we tell uh, our staff and also people potentially impacted, whether it's clients or um, whoever's information may be uh, breached. And, you know, they that, that's what I'm there for. That's what possibly a communications expert's there for is to put words around what we know so far at each given point in time and then making the decision of the when. Do we, do we tell the world on day two or do we wait until day six when we know a bit more? And, and those sort of decisions have to get made along the way. Yeah, there's plenty of stakeholders in, in an advice room from clients to you know, the, the staff, as you mentioned, the business itself, the licensing. If there's licensing, then there's, then there's third-party uh, supplier conversations all the way through to regulators. Yeah. Uh, is that generally you that manages that? Uh, often. Uh, I guess I find that when I'm brought on board early on in the process, yes, I kind of sit across all those things. And I think... I'd like to think that as the the lawyer, it enables me to provide legal advice that's in privileges across those different areas. Um, but often I am just brought in as the lawyer and there might be another manager of the incident. And that can often happen when they're, they're quite large data breaches where you have a specialist cyber incident response manager who is kind of pulling all the parties together into all those meetings and managing the information flow and that I provide the the legal advice as, as such um, on the issues that come up. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, part of this process, uh, the, as I mentioned before, the, the regulatory requirements. Do you want to talk us a little bit through um, some of those, who the regulators are and what you need to report on? Yeah. The, the main one is the Privacy Commissioner, so the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, the OAIC. Um, that's the regulator that sits within the Privacy Act. When we talk about a data breach, we're talking about personal information being compromised by uh, criminals and the access or disclosure of that information, the regulator's interested in you telling her and the individuals impacted within sort of um, certain periods of time and uh, providing sort of regulated information in your notification. So that's, that's the main one. But then if you're responsible for a critical infrastructure asset, you have to tell the Australian Cybersecurity Centre about a, an incident. If you're not, but you still want to tell the government what's happening to you as a responsible corporate citizen, or you may want to see if they've got information about the criminal group that could be um, useful to you, you inform the ACSC you know, through the cyber um, reporting website. But what that then does is that can then filter through to the, the different state police authorities, the federal police, and that's sort of like the coordination of government agencies happen through the ACSC. Yeah, it's getting slightly better now, isn't it? Because before it was uh, it was a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, ASIC, for example, a regular, regular, regulator that spends a lot of time in the financial advice place, they'll often find out through the ACSC as well. So. Yeah, 
yeah, and so and and ASIC and, and even APRA to an extent and and other various smaller regulators, um, there's a there's not as a um, concrete structure around notifying them, but there's um, obligations around reporting of cyber incidents if a cyber incident falls within the definition of kind of the, the incidents that ASIC needs to be told about just generally uh, yes. speaking. Yeah, so part of their licensing there are obligations mm. and the AFSL licensing to let them know uh, if, if there's certain serious concerns yeah. to clients, uh, which is often the case in, in this scenario. So yeah. um, there's, a, there's a lot of reporting that has to go on in that, in that space and that reporting probably doesn't finish in that, in that what we call that two weeks of horrendous pain because no, it's unlikely. As, we go, as we go through to the next sort of area of, you know, the clean-ups phase, that could be, you know, a month to two months to three months to four months. There's no real uh, time frame on it, but there's a lot of clean-up to be done. Yeah, so we, if, if we're talking about uh, an incident's been notified to different regulators, there's often a tail to that of questions being asked and you're having to respond. Similarly, if you've notified, um, you know, hundreds of people or even thousands, you know, that notification process might take a while in working it through, possibly responding to questions, having FAQs online, updating websites. That all goes on for a while. And then, and then you've got to think about... Um, you know, uh, whether there's cleanup with regards to the business itself. So are you back online properly now? Um, have you um, been able to restore from backups or recovered the system separately? And that's that's a whole other stream of work that can take some, some time. And I guess lastly, and we touched on this in our session, was the brand rebuild starts to happen in this phase, which is you're through kind of the immediate crisis and then you need to take take sort of a, a step back and go, okay, w- w- what trust have we lost here? What what has um, happened to our company more broadly that we might need to address through different strategies and, and working through that? Yeah, and I think in an advice space with cleanup, there can often be, you know, if, if clients' information was taken, if they had taken, you know, superannuation account details or they they know information that they that you, you can you can have uh, you can clean up or change as in you can issue them a new account or move them move them over. Um, sometimes if passports or driver's license are taken, then you can get those reissued. Uh, that sort of forms part of that cleanup. Yeah, of course, every circumstance tends to be different, but yes, that that could be something that's required. It may be that if the personal information involves identity documents that need to be replaced, or if TFNs are involved, they're kind of impossible to replace, but. Uh, going through the process with the ATO in terms of um, in how they need to be informed of what's going on and identifying any potential risk around you know the the portal and things like that. But it it comes in in such a variety of different ways that you kind of have to be yep. agile whenever you're dealing with the next the yep. next incident. Yeah, good term. Um, and so as we get through that that clean up phase, they'll probably we move into what we call uh, phase four, which is really around the concept of. The zombie years, the waiting years, the understanding, yep. you know, this information's out there. Is it going to come back to haunt you? Yeah, and that those years now, I think more than ever, can include the risk of litigation. If you're a big organisation, class actions are a real thing now in the cyber data breach space. We've seen a, a number of them commence now. If you're a smaller organisation, um, it's it's likely that there's going to be a direct right of action available to individuals to bring a claim for breach of privacy um, against organisations that have suffered a data breach and and um, they can bring that directly to the courts and so they don't have to go to the regulator and go through the complaints process, which usually only results in maybe a slap over the wrist or a small um, you know monetary payment. If, if uh, individuals can then go to court over these breaches or team up with 
a group of other individuals impacted, I think you've got to understand that the, the tail of your uh, data breach is now going to include that type of risk. And then uh, as well, not only have you notified regulators at the time of the crisis, but they're going to be potentially interested in seeing that you've, um, I guess, responded across the whole time of responding to the incident in the proper way and they may commence a formal investigation against you. Even if you've got litigation going on at the same time, it doesn't phase them at all and so you could be facing an investigation as well. So there's a, there's, there's a lot in those zombie years. Yeah, absolutely. And that litigation, that litigation space is... Um what so much of a concern? One of the things we talked about today is if you ever going through a process, is to be documenting every step of the way. Yeah. So as you said, so that you can demonstrate, you know, in preparation, you're demonstrating in preparation for anything that happens in the litigation piece. Yeah, I think what it shows is you've gone through a proper process in responding to the incident, and because under the Privacy Act, at least, it provides you with the ability to undertake a reasonable and expeditious assessment of the data breach in deciding what you're going to do in response. Um, and so that documentation is is very helpful in showing the regulator and potentially a court uh, how you approach the management of the incident. Mind you, though, that doesn't fix the problems that existed prior to the data breach that might have led to it um, that could be the centre of a cause of action against you or the investigation itself. Unfortunately, that ship has sailed and you're going to have to explain why you didn't have particular security or controls in place at the time that it happened. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk to firms about a structured approach, we talk about, you know, having that demonstration of, you know, trying to leave no stone unturned at the beginning. And obviously, there's no business that's going to be 100% secure. But if you've got that evidence to back it up, then you can say, look, we did all of these things. We, you know, the thing that happened was an unknown, unknown, and we didn't know about it. Um, And if we knew about it, we would have done something about it. The regulators are probably more likely to, to go, okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, and then as long as you're also following the process and not on the backside. Yeah, that's right. Like cybersecurity, it, it's, it's, um, it doesn't have specific things written in stone that you have to do. They're guidelines. They're benchmarks. Uh, companies can do, um, you know, in particular like the Essential 8 that the ASD puts out. They're, they're, they're at different levels of maturity that they, um, they ask organisations to work through. So there's not this specific thing that if you don't have, you could be liable. They're going to look at you and think, in your circumstances, was it, un- was it unreasonable for you to not have you know, this particular thing in place or the way that the vulnerability um, got through to your network? Was that negligent or, it, or, or not in compliance with the regulations? And none of this has been tested by the courts yet. Um, we're still waiting on the regulator's first uh, investigation of the big data breaches last year. So um, there's a lot still to understand. Yep, fantastic. And we also covered up on supply chain uh, issues from clients through to regulators, as in, uh, you know, sorry, not regulators, com- com- clients through to, say, advice portals that it might be on the, um, you know, the, the software that you use, the CRM that you might use, the, the email system that you use, uh, and the... You know, there, there's been this, you know, this idea that people just have to look after themselves within their own business. But obviously, there's a there was a recent survey, the Asset Cyber Pulse survey that came out, that's really highlighted the fact that these supply chains aren't really really looked at. Yeah, that that survey found that particularly in the small business um, space, they're not assessing their third party supplier risk well. Uh, and that you know, we talked about in the session how. There's the sort of technical way that can be done, you know, maybe through 
some external consultant can come in and, and, and provide advice on, on the risk associated with particular vendors or you can just go ask them what their cybersecurity is like and, or um, just keep it really simple and start with get a copy of the contract you have with them. What does it say? Um, you know, just uh, I guess treat it like any other business risk, any other engagement of, of, of people and think about cyber not as some mystical kind of technical thing you don't understand but just look at it as is this a third party that we're dealing with, do we actually know them as well as we should. Yep, yeah, fantastic. Now, one of the other things we covered in this session was the was a little bit of a chat around cyber insurance. Now, neither of you or I are uh, cyber insurers or, or, or are we uh, insurance brokers, but um, you've had a lot to do with cyber insurance contracts over, over the time? Yeah, I, I, I was involved in some of the early policies uh, written in this country as a more junior solicitor um, and uh, now have the opportunity to work with a number of the insurers that provide cyber insurance in the market and insurance brokers, and so I'm pretty familiar with the product. Um, and, you know, I think Australia has now reached a stage where we have some mis- real maturity in the cyber insurance market where there's, you know, there's a lot of providers, there's a lot of capacity there. I believe, you know, all organisations have access to a policy that they should be able to afford, and I don't think we could say that even a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely think without giving advice on 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 cyber insurance, that a bit of a no brainer, a must for especially financial services businesses that hold such important data and have so much to lose and, and um, out of it. Uh, what sort of things do the insurance policies cover? You know, we you know there's ransom, there's the you know the solicit the legal fees and all the other fees of the experts in the room. Tell us a little about what the things. That yeah, those those things are a, a part of the uh, first party uh, incident response costs. So you, my fees, uh, the IT forensic fees, um, also communications expert, but uh, probably the ones that aren't as well acknowledged. Insurers cover ransom payments. Uh, the, the government's not for it, but the insurers are still allowed to offer that cover. And so that's there, uh, subject to the insurer being provided with the information at the time that they need in accordance with the law. Or they will uh, reimburse you for a ransom payment up to the limits, of course. And then another one is the business interruption loss cover. So if you're if you're off the tools for a period of time because of the attack, um, you can be compensated for the financial loss that you've suffered, and that can really help small business that hasn't been able to trade for some time. Yeah, so the typical cyber liability policy covers the business as in, as in uh, uh, first party, third party as in their clients. Yeah, third party as well. I didn't mention that. Um, just like a traditional liability policy that if you get sued in relation to a cyber event, uh, whether it's in court or whether it's a regulatory investigation, um, you have cover there um, for the insurance. Again, Legal fees, but also damages or fines. Yeah, so losses, loss, losses to business, business interruption, and and ongoing fines and, yeah. and issues. So pretty much the full gamut yep. of what you need. So, yeah, that, that's a bit of a no-brainer, I believe, in that uh, in that process. But um, Jason, thanks so much for coming and chatting with us today, and thank you for coming to the Congress and talking about cyber, one of my favourite topics. Uh, if people want to continue a conversation or talk with you, because I believe um, we, you know in having an incident response plan and businesses should have these plans in place. Inside of that plan should be the names and phone numbers of the people who you can call upon. And, uh, and I'd like to think that, you know, you're one of those, one of those people that should be written down or in, in, in the phone number written down next to the name of the person who to call. Um, how can people get hold of you if they wanted to find out or chat with you further? Yeah, look, just 
search for me on LinkedIn, Jason Simons. Uh, you'll see me for part of the Mills Oakley Law Firm. And um, yeah, send me a message on LinkedIn. Very happy to connect. Fantastic. And if you want to get uh, put a incident cyber incident response plan in place, the CIRPs as we call them, because we love to, you know, add oh, acronyms. You've got to have an acronym. Yeah, uh, in there, then uh, please reach out to me, Fraser Jack, at the Cyber Collective, and I'd be more than happy to uh, give you, help you on your way when it comes to uh, putting an incident response plan in place. Thank you. Pleasure, mate.